Hello guys, welcome to the next episode of the Challenger 2 podcast. I'm actually gonna be by myself again because Jakub is like living his best life and enjoying the summer. Uh, but hopefully he'll be back soon. Uh, but you know we're gonna we're gonna do fine. We've already done a couple of these solo episodes like last week, so uh, no worries. We will be talking about the five challengers that happened, also the five challengers that we're gonna have to preview. Jakub has sent me his winner predictions, so uh, we will keep that going. And also before we get to this. Um, during the weekend, well, from Friday to Sunday, I was at the Polish National Championships in Bytom. Um, last year, we had like a pretty big segment uh, dedicated to this, you know, to the challenger players there. Here, I'm only going to mention a couple of them because they're also like the, the you know, the, the field was slightly weaker than last year. The main takeaway for the challenger tour is that Paweł Ciasz won it and that and he will get the Szczecin wildcard, at least if the tradition is held up. It should be right. Um, from for like the past decade or so, or maybe even longer, I'm not even sure. Um, the winner of the Polish national championships get the gets the Szczecin wildcard, which is something that Chash um, did already three times, and also he got another wildcard because of how good he was doing with them. You know, the guy, um, even though he has a career high of I think 393. Uh, 393. Uh, he has wins over Arnaboldi, Gianessi, Copriva, Travaglia, all in Szczecin. Szczecin has basically been responsible for all the highlights of his career. And uh, yeah, he again played some insane tennis at the Polish Championships. He didn't actually beat anyone, you know, super of note, but he was really good against Rajski and against uh, Pavelski as well, who I'm, who I'm going to talk about in a second. And um, some I kind of hate it, you know, because uh, the guy makes me wa- makes me watch like ITF streams from Slovenia or something where he plays. And for example, recently he lost to Dalavale, winning one game, and yet somehow uh, he's actually able to come to the Polish Championships and play like uh, I don't want to say top one hundred tennis, but you know, challenger level tennis at at least. Uh, phenomenal foot speed, consistency, and invent like how creative he is as well. Um, I just cannot really understand it, but I think he is just really good with the crowd. You know, he 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 needs that extra big bit of motivation. And uh, yeah, we're gonna see him in Szczecin again. Uh, maybe there's gonna be another upset coming from uh, from Pavel. Uh, Martin Pavelski uh, was the finalist. Uh, he, of course, you you might remember him from Ron Garros Junior semifinals in 2022. He also made the challenger appearance in the qualifying at Kozerki last year and took a set of Marco Topo. And I think he'll be making a lot of challenger impacts soon, actually. The, this event in Kozerki, which I'm pretty sure he's gonna get a wildcard for, if not main draw, then qualifying. Uh, you know, this is going to be really good for him. This the, the chance to play at home on hard courts. I think that's uh, that's something that he will really love with the serve that he has, with the insane power. He's kind of like Majerovic, you know, right now, with just crazy uh, pace, but at the same time, kind of sloppy movement and also uh, fitness being uh, a bit of a question mark. He actually saved... Um, over 10 match points in the third round of the Polish championships and then reached the final, which was pretty crazy. And um, yeah, I think think if he gets to play a few challenger qualifyings at the end of the year, we might already see some big results from him. Uh, Another challenger player, I guess, was um, Daniel Michalski, of course, the top seed and the defending champion. He lost to Pavelski in the semis. Not a great showing. Uh, but um, I don't think it's going to reflect that much on his Tampere chances, which obviously I'm going to talk about later when we when uh, we are previewing the events. And was there anyone else? Kacper Zhuk had to withdraw and uh, he also withdrew from a few challengers, which kind of takes him out of the US Open qualifying race, uh, which is unfortunate. Uh, Kasznikowski lost to Rajski, which... Um, I guess uh, you probably have to think of it as a bit of a surprise, but the uh, 32-year-old Maciej Rajski is like an expert of making upsets. He has like a slice-heavy play style and it really um, is just tricky to play. So uh, I didn't see that much because it was on Thursday. I was only um, I was only there from Friday to Sunday. But like you, know, you more or less know what happened if if Rajski makes an upset, basically. And uh, yeah, I guess that's more or less all challenger players there. Um, I'm not sure if anyone else will, will like be featuring. Um, may, maybe you know, maybe uh, some other players will get a Kozerki wildcard or stretching wildcard. Um, I mean qualifying. Um, later in the uh, later in the summer, but then we're gonna talk about them, I guess. Um, so so yeah, basically the main takeaway is Paweł Ciasz uh, getting another stretching wildcard and another uh, Polish national championships title. Uh, 
and uh, with that uh, we might get to get we might get to um, actually start reviewing the challengers that happened we had five events uh, two of them uh, challenger 125s in Braunschweig and Salzburg I have to say by the way that a lot of these European challengers this week played pretty fast you know Yassi for sure Salzburg definitely Braunschweig even looked looked really fast to me maybe even more so than last year I'm not sure what the like what the difference would be maybe it was also fast last year you know but yeah that's just a bit of a general thought and let's just get to Braunschweig. Uh, I was there at the event last year. I didn't go in 2023. Uh, but, but you know, it's one of these challengers that always gets praised as one of the best in the world. It's been voted as the challenger of the year a few times. The venue is amazing. Uh, great event for sure. Obviously, the um, nice spot in the calendar helps with the second week of Wimbledon, just allowing some high-ranked players to, to, to feature on the challenger tour. And we had Franco Agamemnone beat all of them, like beat most of them, uh, to clinch the title, which was completely out of the blue. Uh, his win-loss record for the year was, I believe, um, 11 and 18 before this week. And he was actually in huge danger of missing US Open qualifying, which might seem like a shock to you because, I mean, right now he's what, at 143 in the rankings. Like, how was he able to, how was he close to missing US Open qualifying? But that's because his UMAC semifinal points would, would be dropping soon. I mean, they still will be dropping soon. And he also didn't have these 125 for winning Braunschweig. But he played some insanely inspired tennis. And like the, the motivation, I think, was very clear. He beat a very strong field of opponents, uh, a very strong set. Marterer, Daniel Altmaier, Daniel Altmaier, haha. Uh, Hassan and Kotov. Against Taro Daniel in the second round, he had to save three consecutive match points in the deciding set tiebreak. Crazy run, honestly. Um, the whole year, you know, Agamemnone can play nothing and then suddenly does this. And in the final, he even got injured. But Kotov kind of didn't have like the... I'm not even sure what. Like, I, I just think he lost his mind a little bit. And when Agamemnone was not moving well for a few games, Kotov just didn't capitalize on this. But yeah, after the year that Agamemnone has had so many first round exits, total shock. Uh, but well done to him, and, and yeah, he just ensures that he's going to be in the Grand Slam qualifying range for the US Open, and I guess for um, the Australian Open as well, probably, because I don't think he had that good of a second half of the season last year. Well, I guess I guess two semifinals in South America, so maybe there's still some work to be done there, but, uh, you know, may maybe he actually uh, is going to be able to do something in UMAG. I, I suppose he's playing qualies for that event, right? So... Uh, so maybe he doesn't have to lose these semi-final points, uh, but you would kind of expect him, expect him to, right? Uh, he's currently third on the alternate list for the qualifying, so I guess he should get in. Uh, anyway, yeah, Franco Agamemnone, uh, fourth challenger title. Uh, all, of course, coming since, uh, like, in the past two years or so. Um, we've talked about this late career surge many times, and um, f I was just absolutely shocked with how he played this week. If he played all, all the time with such intensity, uh, maybe that's the top 100, um, you know, that top 100 debut that at some point was pretty real for him because he he got up to 108, uh, 108. Uh, maybe that was actually going to be a possibility, you know, because uh, yeah. Just that intensity, that attacking mindset that he had in Braunschweig this week. That it, it was really crazy. Uh, very surprised at that. Pavel Kotov, um, I guess a very, very solid run. Uh, nothing really to talk about because he just beat Delian, who's recently out of form, then uh, got, got a retirement from Laxon and beat Koinski, who I guess he kind of, you know, he was a pretty big favorite to beat, let's say that. And then he had a huge win over Thiago Seibovwild. So I think he was probably thinking of himself as the favorite going into the final. Maybe that kind of hurt him. Uh, he got off to a, to the better start, but like ever since Akamenona uh, tuned in his ground strokes, uh, he didn't really have a shot. And then started, as I as I already mentioned, like he, he started getting back into the match when Agamemnone got injured. But he still didn't really take advantage of that. And um, the Italian was soon back to just, you know, his, his best, which this week was really excellent. And um, yeah, otherwise, not, not much to say. Kotov is playing Bostad uh, next week, so not on the Challenger Tour. I think he is currently in the second round of qualifying, maybe, um, in, uh, in Bostad. And I think he's going to play Enzo Quaco in the second one. 
currently as in um, sat, uh, sorry Monday morning when I'm recording this. The other semifinalists, uh, well, sorry, the, the semifinalists were, as I already mentioned, Thiago Seibofield. Um, I, I think he was my pick uh, for the title. I, um, you know, he defeated the FCAF again in three sets, just like in Karlsruhe. Then Masur, then Kovalik in a pretty wild match where he wasn't really the better player for the most part. And then lost to Kotov. Um, slightly disappointing, probably, that, that semi-final loss, but he keeps putting in good results on the European clay as well, not only you know, not only in South America. And of course, after Ron Garros, like everyone knows that he is going to be a top 100 player, I think, sooner or later. Um, he, if he keeps playing with this sort of uh, motivation, focus, and yeah, just blasting that forehand like he was in 2021 uh, in that one ATP 250 run, he should be there. He should be there in no time. And he actually has already lost an ATP qualifying uh, next, this week in Kstadt to Zizou Berks. Uh, but you know that's not a bad loss, right? Um, Benjamin Hassan was the other semi-finalist. A great run for him. He was actually almost stopped by Karl Friberg in the final qualifying round, but then beat Chekinato, Skatov, Holmgren, and lost to Agamemnone. Um, crazy win against August Holmgren, who, by the way, I also have to mention because um, the former collegian was just excellent this week. Uh, as recently, like on the on the Challenger Tour, especially on clay, Holmgren was not doing well, and it makes sense with his game. But then he comes to Braunschweig, wins a crazy battle against Oriol Rokobataya in the final qualifying round, then beats Munar, deciding set tiebreak, Andreev, deciding set tiebreak, and loses to Hassan, uh, and he had a match point, I think. Hassan, uh, we already know that when it matters, he can go like into full lockdown mode. You know, last year he saved 12 match points against Lucas Midler, right? Um, so, so that was that was really it again. Uh, Hassan just wouldn't miss in the tiebreaker, but a fantastic performance from from Holgren as well. Um, like the the aggressive game of his was was really on par. Uh, on you know, he he was on top of it uh, this week and also was defending kind of well, like not giving up the baseline, standing uh, very close to the court and just often taking it on the half volley. Uh, really nice run for Karl Holmgren. As you heard, uh, I mean, these were just tight matches, you know, he could have easily lost in the final qualities round. So maybe it's not repeatable. I don't know if it's repeatable on clay, uh, but I really want to see him in like more, um, you know, in, in challengers that would maybe suit him more right now. Uh, excited to see if he can keep delivering, and I think he's into the, into the top 400 for the very first time. And uh, yeah, I think I guess that's it when it comes to Braunschweig. There's also, of course, the doubles, which were won by uh, Pierre Igerber and Arthur Raymond. Uh, as you guys know, uh, Erber has not been focusing on um, doubles that much this year, uh, but he actually played played it in uh, Braunschweig and won it which should be, of course, uh, no surprise. And um, yeah, then Salzburg, the other 125th. And finally, guys, finally, final, finally, we have a um, title for Sebastian Ofner in 2023. So Sebastian Ofner, as you probably know, phenomenal year. He's actually up to 58 in the um, ATP rankings right now. I thought he, I thought he would be in eight, at 57, so I'm kind of surprised by that. Um, I, I, I was counting if he has more Grand Slam points than Nakashima, and he seemed to have them, but maybe I'm, maybe I actually miscounted something. He is apparently under Nakashima, which I, I'm not sure I understand, because from my cal calculations, it seemed like he would have more ATP 1000 Grand Slam points than Nakashima. But no, maybe, maybe I made a mistake. Um, I'm, I'm not sure. But anyway... Uh, he was, of course, in five finals along with his Ron Garros uh, round four before Salzburg. Uh, Ilkley, um, Prague, um, Zadar, Antalya and Tenerife. And Sebastian Ofner didn't win a single one of them, only really coming close once against Alessandro Gianessi in Zadar. Uh, but in 14 challengers played this year, he reached six finals. So I guess he was kind of bound to get to one of them, right? Uh, like uh, sorry, get one, get one of them. And uh, here he just beat Colarini, Klein, Fatic, Serundolo, and Neumayer. The standout performance probably just blasting Serundolo off the court in 50 minutes. That match against Nerman Fatic was surprisingly tight in the in the quarterfinals, but uh, eventually he beat uh, Lukas Neumayer in the final. So I guess you could kind of say like, with all due respect to Lukas Neumayer, 
that Ofner finally got an opponent in the final that was somewhat easy. Um, I guess the previous one was probably Genesi, where Ofner was also a pretty big favorite. And uh, yeah, this time he finally delivered. Um, he only lost one point on first serve. So yeah, he, he dominated that final, 6-3-6-2. Uh, generated one break point while getting broken three times himself. Speaking of Lukas Neumeyer, um, these conditions in Salzburg uh, every year, they seem to be kind of unique. And uh, what happens is that, yeah, we just get a lot of these runs from uh, maybe Austrian players who aren't exactly uh, thought of as, you know, title threats, but they, they do it. And last year, in 2022, Lukas Neumeyer was already in the quarterfinals at Salzburg. So not that much of a surprise, I suppose, in that sense. But still, he beat Nagal, Bagnis, Monteiro and Rola in a row. So an, an amazing set of wins. Didn't come close in, um, in the final. I guess it's now up to him to deliver in the next weeks, unlike he did last year, because after Salzburg last year, I don't think he really followed it up. So um, right now he is at 245 in the ATP rankings. So there's a big chance that Lukas Neumeyer will quali- will be in US Open qualifying if he can just, you know, pull off some um, like two wins or something in the next couple of weeks. So yeah, that's that's what Neumeyer will be trying to do now. I think right now with 245, it's probably not enough. So he probably needs like at least one more decent result. Uh, but great stuff from the 20 year old. And speaking of the semifinalists, we already already mentioned Juan Manuel Serundolo, who was just blasted off the court. But this was still a very good week for him because he, I think he did enough to uh, make the US Open main draw. Uh, yeah, definitely, because he, he was at like 100 in the rankings. So yeah, he, did, he basically did enough to, to make the US Open main draw. And this was the cutoff um, today, Monday 17th of July. 2023 is the US Open main draw cutoff. So uh, huge for Serundolo to get this far, especially as the conditions in Salzburg just aren't that, that great for him. But he also had a had a very easy run, you know, Maxim Chazal, Alex Barena, and then just Elias Immer in the in the quarters, which was definitely the best win that he's had this week. The other semi-finalist we need to talk about, and it's Blas Rola. Uh, the 32-year-old Slovenian obviously once a top 100 player. I think in 2015 he had his career high ranking. And uh, Rola had a knee surgery, had knee surgery, I think, and came back in April to, um, well, first lose in the second round of an ITF event, then win one. And then on the Challenger Tour, he had a couple of decent matches, for sure, but he wasn't maybe doing all that hot. And then he comes to Salzburg and pulls off wins over the likes of Andreozzi, Carbaez Baena, Kopriva, Misolic, and from the qualifying makes the semis. Uh, fantastic run, you know, that potent lefty game was still very effective. And honestly, he doesn't seem like he has declined all that much. So maybe there's still a lot that we can see from uh, Blasherola, like in the next uh, few months, in the next few years even. Uh, but after Salzburg, he's already lost in Trieste in the qualifying to Kirill Kivatsev. But you, you kind of have to remember that in Salzburg, he played, I think, six matches across seven days and then went instantly to Trieste, right? So... Um, tiredness was probably a factor in there, uh, but yeah, great stuff from the uh, from the Slovenian, absolutely. And it was it was very fun to watch his run this week and sort of um, yeah, sort of just remind ourselves what kind of a player he was and like yeah, just the quality that he has still apparently. And when it comes to the doubles in Salzburg, they were won by Golubiev Molchanov, a very strong pairing, of course. Once upon a time, it, it probably was even a a main tour uh, pair right now. They they are kind of trying to mix it up, I think, and um, and yeah, uh, they they beat uh, Chandra Sekar and Prasant, so the the Indian duo. And let's get to hmm, there. There were two Challenger once one hundreds in um, in Europe this week. San Benedetto and Yassi. Let's maybe start with San Benedetto, where we had a vintage final between Benoit Per and Richard Gasquet. Uh, per actually improved his head-to-head with Gasquet to 3-8, and eight. so it, it wasn't great, definitely wasn't great, uh, but he has managed to, um, yeah, to, to make it slightly, slightly closer. Benoit Per, I mean, what a year he's had, frankly. Um, this, this is really impressive because he is putting in enough decent results 
to actually be in the top 100 in the ATP race. So it is possible for Benoit Paire, who is also like clearly enjoying himself on the court a lot more than he was, to return to the top 100 this year. It is it is a possibility. And, and he's done fantastic to, to get to this sort of uh, point. Against Francesco Maestrelli in the opening round in San Benedetto, he was 2-5 down in the third. So a crazy run. Absolutely. And uh, this is actually very similar to the match that he had in Francavia, right? I, I mean, that, that one was even... Um, in Francavia Almare, that one was even crazier when he saved five match points against uh, Giorgio Topaco um, and then went on to reach the final. But um, So that one was even crazier. But it, it kind of happens a lot with Pair this, this year that he, he gets into these crazy matches and then if he wins them, he actually has a very good run, right? And he beat Sanchez Hover, Darderi, Tabilo, who um, defeated him in that Francavia Almare final. Sorry, fi- yeah, final. And then, as I mentioned, Richard Gasquet. Honestly, after a slow start, he just overwhelmed his three years older countrymen um, completely. Like, his aggression was just unanswered. And uh, he showed that he probably has actually, like, the stronger peak level right now of the two. Uh, I don't know if that's a heresy. I think. It's a pretty controversial opinion, but I, I think it's actually true. I think when Benoit Paire plays well right now, he's actually the stronger player than, than Richard Gasquet. Eighth challenger title for Paire, second this year after Puerto Vallarta. Uh, Richard Gasquet, whom I already mentioned, um, he came here after Wimbledon. I'm not really sure what the plan exactly was, because right now he's taking a week of break and then Hamburg. So um, I don't know really like the intention of his, you know, as a top 50 player to, to come here, but well... Well, I think he was just outside the top 50, not um, not in the top 50. Right now he's in the top 50. Uh, but he actually made it work, right? He beat Nardi, he beat Koboli from a set and a breakdown, which was a key win. Uh, then Daniel Rincon in the semis. And, of course, lost to Pair. So I guess a solid run, but um, yeah. I, I still think that Gasquet has actually declined quite a lot this year. And sometimes he still manages to like put up, put up a very good showing. He actually had a few of these on grass. Well, a few of these maybe is a stretch, like a couple of them. Uh, and of course, he won the ATP 250 in Auckland, but that run was kind of accidental, Imo. So, um, yeah, I, I guess it's still good for him to, to reach the final, especially as he didn't really have to do that against players like Koboli Nardi, right? I mean, these guys are probably um, at like fairly similar strength to him at the moment. Daniel Rincon, semi-finalist. Uh, was that his first AT, uh, Challenger semi-final? I should know that. Uh, I think it must have been. Of course, the 2021... Yeah, yeah, it, it's definitely, it definitely was. Uh, the 2021 US Open uh, ch- Boys Singles Champion Daniel Rincon was, of course, against Yuncheng Shang. And uh, yeah, uh, he has been slowly, slowly, but steadily progressing this year. I still don't think he has like a crazy upside or something, but he's certainly looking more interesting right now than he was in the juniors, where he, the, like the contrast between him and Shank, even though Rincon won that much, uh, in terms of like natural ability was, was pretty crazy. And this week he managed to qualify, then got a retirement from Lidi. But Tirante and Kuzmanov were, were very decent wins. Against Tirante, he had a crazy comeback. 5-7-2-5 match point down, I think. And then didn't really threaten against Gasquet. So, so it's not like it was extremely strong. But, you know, he, he has been putting in the work, I think, this year. And eventually this, will, this, this is going to give him some, um, yeah, j- j- just some accolades. And uh, eventually this is going to bring him somewhere, I think. Probably not super high, but... He should be improving. And Alejandro Tabilo was the other semi-finalist. I think he was Jakub's pick. He was coming off the Karlsruhe title. So he was trying to go back to back. Lost to pair uh, pretty tamely in the semis. And in the quarters, I guess the main takeaway was his match against Kopejans, which was just insane. You know, Kimer coming off that Wimbledon run, which I thought was going to give him like a lot of confidence for this one. Did it? Uh, maybe it did, but it wasn't exactly showing all the time, especially in how, uh, yeah, he just couldn't seem to close this match out against Tabilo. He was 6-3, free of up, um, then had like a number, number of breaks and uh, breakpoint chances that could have basically ended the match. 
and uh, still it was Tabilo actually, I think, maybe even saving a match point, 8-6, and winning 8-6 in the deciding set tiebreak. So that was like the big story. And of course, Tabilo, um, after falling off to like almost outside the top 200 around March, around the end of February, he's really uh, putting in some very strong results in the past few months. So this is just another one of them. And then, yeah, he was coming off the Karlsruhe title, obviously. And when it comes to the doubles in San Benedetto, it was uh, Fernando Romboli and Marcelo Zorman. So at uh, the Brazilian pairing beating uh, the, the favorites, the top seats, Diego Hidalgo and Cristian Rodriguez in the final. And uh, going forward to Yassi, so the other Challenger 100, we had another high profile final and Hugo Gaston beating uh, Bernabe Zapata Miralesh. Gaston was a pretty crazy story this week because uh, he uh, was down a set and a break to Milian Zekic in the opening round and then the Serbian injured his back. Uh, <laughs> so, um, I mean, I, I, I only watched that on replay, but I heard something from like French um, you know, people on Twitter that Gaston was like very disinterested in this match. And then he, he won in such a fortunate way and then he actually played like like with completely different focus uh, throughout the rest of the week, which was just crazy to see. He beat Pablo Cuevas in the second round. He beat Vitaly Sachko in the quarterfinals. He beat Steven Diaz and also the aforementioned Bernabe Zapata Miralesh. This is actually the second challenger title for Gaston. He famously has a pretty weak record, which is currently two and five. He lost in Yassi uh, in 2021 to Zdenek Kolasz and of course only got his first challenger title uh, in the um, in the fall of 2022. Uh, but this is uh, th this was a very good final from him. He he played some excellent defense and like really forced Zapata Miralesz to play with a lot of patience and uh, confidence in terms of his uh, attacking point construction. And Zapata Miralesz didn't really have that because he was really tired uh, jumping over to him. Uh, he seemed to like the, the matches with Menchi, Garin, quarters, semis. They seem they seem to take a lot out, out of him, uh, or have taken by the time he reached the final. And also, uh, yeah, the way Gaston was defending, I think Zapata Miralesh also maybe got himself tired with the nervous energy that he can have on the court sometimes. But still, a nice run for the Spaniard who was on a bit of a losing streak since um, since the end of the clay season, basically. And even in the Bundesliga, he lost, but he was playing catching. And here he beat Dugas Frcina, then Menchik and Garin. These were the two, of course, standout wins, in, in both in three sets. Steven Diaz, the other semi-finalist, I think by far the weakest of the semi-finalists. And you can kind of see it in the route that he needed to uh, get to, to make the Yassi semis, because he had to beat Marty Pujolras, Fikovic and Ivanovski. So uh, certainly, like, there was a quarter in this draw that uh, opened up quite a lot. But Steven Diaz is good in, the, in these, like, faster clay conditions. And he actually gave Gaston a pretty decent test in the semis. 6-4, uh, 6-4. But it was, a, it was a tight match and it wasn't like Gaston had to uh, pull off the win. Especially as, you know, he, he is perhaps not the strongest player in, like, in terms of converting... Um, favorable draws, right? He can he can get in in his own head uh, quite a lot too. And Christian Garin, the other semi-finalist, we've seen him um, play some ridiculous stuff between Indian Wells and Rome. Then of course get injured in the third round at Rome. And in Milan recently, he lost in the opening round to Luciano Darderi. This was better. Uh, he finally got some wins on the board, beating Madaras, Vacherot. Uh, Ricardo Bonadio in a third set tiebreaker and then eventually losing to Zapata Miralesh, but it was a very high quality match and um, yeah, just just a great just great stuff honestly to have Zapata Miralesh playing Garin in, in a challenger semi-final on clay. Uh, that's really what we uh, what, what I think the, the fans want and uh, yeah, it was it was great to see these guys playing well and, and facing each other at such a stage. And the uh, I mean the, the title went to Nicolas Barrientos and Aysam Ulhak Kureshi. <laughs> That's a very interesting pairing. Of course, the the, the Pakistani legend, the 43-year-old, uh, kind of well, yeah, j j just losing a lot of steam this year and having to play a lot of challengers. But even in these challengers, he just wasn't doing all that well, right? So, so finally a, a title for him, which I think is actually his first title in three years. Uh, first challenger title in four years as well. 
and they they uh, faced a pretty surprising par- pair in the final, which was Bogdan Pavel and Gabi, Gabi Adrian Boitan. And the last event that we had was the Challenger 75 in Chicago, which was won by Alex Mikkelsen against uh, Yuta Shimizu in the final. So Mikkelsen, the 18-year-old who is supposed to be joining um, the University of Georgia really soon, but at this point it's kind of hard to know whether he will actually join, right? I mean, he is in the top one hundred. He's in the top two hundred. He's surely going to get some um, ATP wildcards, uh, especially the U.S. Open. So I don't know if it really makes sense. I think if he joins, it's probably going to be like a Diana Schneider type of deal. You know, just one year and then out, because he is clear- clearly good enough for the for the Pro Tour. You know, he um, won the he was the finalist in Rome earlier in the year, and yeah, just just. Basically, with like half a year of playing at this challenger level, he just looks ready to contend for all of these American challengers, and it's it, it's really fantastic a fantastic effort. And what he did this week was just incredible too. Um, in the opening round, he was actually struggling against Litu. He won the first he won the match in three tiebreaks, but then beating Kovacevic, Nishikori, and Shang in a row. That's just incredible, and he has such like a diverse game too. Um, he can he can attack, defend. He can he you know he serves so well. Uh, he can be very consistent from the baseline. He can be very aggressive when he wants to. And yeah, top one hundred player, top one hundred potential is just undeniable. Kovacevic, Nishikori, Shang again in a row. That that's just incredible. And uh, the semi final against Yuncheng Shang had to be finished on Saturday, but it was actually five games only. So, you know, he was he was in fine form by the time he played Yuta Shimizu. The fatigue wasn't going to be an issue. And honestly, he kind of dominated that match, especially the last six games, which he won in a row. Uh, phenomenal talent. And uh, yeah, it's great to see him playing like this. Personally, I don't know if there's like any need for him to play college. Um, yesterday, Noah Rubin um, tweeted on... Um, yeah, just quote tweeted me on something like this and said that... Um, there are a lot of advantages to to going like for a you know one year college, uh, uh, w- just one season in college, and basically no disadvantages. I don't know if that's actually like hundred percent true, um, because if you if you're not gathering the pro experience for a year, that that's a disadvantage, right? I mean, Mickelson can basically be playing Grand Slam qualifying in all four uh, events very soon. So I don't know. Obviously, we have no idea what Mikkelsen will do. Uh, we'll see whether he's in Georgia or maybe, you know, maybe he wins a round or two at the US Open. Is it possible? It could be. Like, it, it, it's not out of the question. But yeah, fantastic run for the 18-year-old who's been one of the main discoveries of this year, I suppose. It, it's kind of, um, you know, it's kind of weird to say that because he was a great junior. But um, yeah, just never expected him to produce this sort of a level this quickly but you know we kind of knew since february already i suppose that that yeah this guy was going to be excellent very soon and and he did it he he already has a challenger title uh yuta shimizu uh, who also reached what his maiden challenger final earlier in the year like mikkelsen in puerto vallarta which i already mentioned today because per won it and then uh, actually was not on that good a run. Even in the futures, he wasn't really winning it, winning them. He had a bit of a losing streak in challengers. One quarter final in Tyler, though. Uh, but, you know, the guy has a pretty um, unpleasant game, I think. Uh, kind of a Yoshihito Nishioka type of style. And he managed to beat Ivan Zhu, Yunseong Chung, um, Jason Jung. And Giovanni Pecci Pericard in a couple of um, tie breaks in the semis. So as you can see, I mean the run was a lot easier than Mikkelsen's, and I think it kind of showed in the final that the American was just vastly superior. Uh, but still a very a very solid showing for Shimizu. He's almost in the top 100 right now. And um, yeah, let's talk about the semi-finalists, who were, of course, Giovanni Pecci Pericard and Yuncheng Shang. Giovanni Pecci Pericard. Um, I think this was more legit than his Lyon title even because it wasn't on altitude. It was like a straight up, like pretty fast hardcore, but still Petri Pericard managed to succeed on it. And I think that's huge for him. I think that's something that we have not seen yet from him. 
And uh, yeah, I think I think it's a lot of good development, especially the wins over Sandgren and Layal, but also Adam Walton, you know. And then just losing in a couple of tiebreaks to Shimizu, uh, maybe would have been easier for him if not for that match against Layal in the quarters, which was just crazy, and he was cramping in the third set, so could have been a little um, a little drained going into the semis as well. And the other semi-finalist was Yuncheng Shang. Uh, many times, I mean, we've talked about him and uh, it seems like after that mono that he had in the first half of the year that like really uh, stopped him from achieving good results. It seems like he is actually back to great shape. Uh, he was, of course, in the quarters in uh, Ilkley, then lost in the fi- opening round of the qualities at Wimbledon, but was to Matteo Arnaldi in that blockbuster opening round. And here he was actually really good, defeating Kukushkin via retirement and then Marchenko and Ethan Quinn. And yeah, Alex Michelson, Alex Michelson, he lost to him, but that's okay, right? Um, so I think Shang will continue being a force on the Challenger Tour in the second half of the year. Um, absolutely has the game for that, I think. And uh, yeah, also the doubles, the last thing that we were mentioning in terms of the recaps, they were won by uh, Michaelis Libietis and Skander Mansuri. Libietis, after his pretty long break, I think, how, how long was he out? Um well, like five years from the from the Pro Tour, he's already back into the top 200 of the doubles rankings. So pretty good stuff from the from the 31 year old. And I guess with that, we are going to the match of the week and upset of the week section. I actually have to check the poll that I put out on Twitter, like what's leading in it right now. But there were so many thrillers that even choosing the options for the poll were, was really tough. Um, so, um, yeah, let's see. Uh, Mikkelsen Nishikori is currently leading at 49%. I think the quality in that was a little all over the place, mostly because of the wind and like how Kay was playing. Um, I think definitely there were moments when his error count was a bit through the roof. But I think it still could be my match of the week. Even though there were some like maybe more dramatic matches, maybe there were some high quality matches as well. But I kind of have to just say that um, Mikkelsen Nishikori just felt like a huge match, you know? The 18-year-old up-and-comer, Kei Nishikori, obviously a legend and, and yeah, some so, someone who I think will still uh, probably return to the top 100 if, if he just can just remain healthy. I think he has been playing at this sort of a level. So this matchup just felt absolutely huge. And that first set tiebreaker was very dramatic as well. So yeah, I, I think I'm going to agree with um, the guys who voted on the poll and just go with Nishikori against Mikkelsen. And when it comes to the upset of the week, um, lots of good stuff. Um, in Chicago, for example, Nishesh Basafaredi beating Steve Johnson was pretty crazy, especially as that that much was held indoors. I actually thought, thought that this was going to help, right? Um, Fikovic over Arbot was a pretty, like, the odds were pretty high on that in Yassi, or even Ivanovski over Yonel, I think was like an underrated upset. I do have to go for something else, though. I, and I'm going for, for a match from Braunschweig, which is Holmgren against Munar. Uh, I thought that was absolutely crazy. Um, for Holmgren to defeat Munar on a clay court with the aggressive playstyle that he has, it just seemed impossible to me. And uh, also to do it this way, you know, coming back from, I think, a set and a breakdown, um, then um, going for like 12 games on serve in the in the deciding set and winning the deciding set tiebreak. Beautiful stuff from the, from the Dane. And I'm, I'm really excited to see what he can do with it um, in the next couple of weeks. And I, I think that was probably the upset of the week. And obviously it was also the highest score when it comes to the odds. And uh, next week, we also have five events. Uh, two of them are Challenger 100s, uh, one of them, uh, and three of them are 75s. Four in Europe, but we are finally getting a hardcore event to go with the clay, and also a hardcore event in Granby in Canada. And this is actually where we're going to start uh, from Granby, which is the hardcore Challenger 100. Tanasi Kokinakis is the is the first seed, and in his section there are like qualifiers, lucky losers. Dane Sweeney plays Giovanni Petri Pericard, the eighth seed, eighth seed by the way. Petri Pericard seeded for challengers, but you know he deserves it really. And Sandgren or McCabe. There's a blockbuster uh, opening round between third seed Yuncheng Shang against Mark Layal, 
Uh, we're going to see how Justin Boulet you might, does. You might remember him from last year. I think he had like a terrible backhand, but was rushing the net quite a lot. He might play Shang or Layal in the second round. And Denis Kudla is the fifth seed in the section playing Moria. Uchiyama could be a threat to Kudla in the second round for sure. And the bottom half, we have the uh, fourth seed Vasek Pospisil, who is coming back. Uh, we'll see if he can deliver better form than at Wimbledon. He's going to play Adam Walton in the opening round, so he has to be sharp early. Django or Janvier, you know, in the second round, that's not easy either. And Rio Noguchi is the sixth seed in like a pretty weaker, in, in a bit of a weaker section with Tunglin Wu. Bryden Schnur coming back and Christian Harrison. Uh, Bryden Schnur, I think, has maybe already played... Uh, did he already play uh, an ITF event? Um, I have to check that, sorry. Yeah, he played one ITF event and he lo he retired after the first two sets against Tristan McCormick. Um, so, Bryden Schnur, of course, if you don't remember him, he is 28. He was in the top 100, which is pretty crazy. And he is also a ATP Tour finalist because he, he reached it, um, what was it, 2019 New York? Um, yeah, 2019 New York, ATP 250. Um, and that was like a crazy run at the time. No one expected that. And Bryden Schnur got into the top 100, then didn't really follow up these results. In 2021, he was already like a pretty weak challenger player, I would say. And then in 2022, he was barely playing, uh, losing most of the time. And since April 2022, he didn't play for like more than a year. Yeah, he didn't play for 15 months until the ITF event last week. So we'll see how Brandon Schnur does. And uh, Artur Kazo is the second seed playing Nam Huang Li. There's also Tristan Skulkate and uh, Tyson Kwiatkowski in this section. And seventh seed Alexis Galarno plays Omar Jasika. When it comes to the quarters, I'm not sure if there's anyone who can really threaten to win this title. Um, I'm interested to see how Sekulic does. He's playing Colin Sinclair in the final qualities round. And also Patrick Kipson, of course, was had some big stories around him recently, but was mostly altitude clay, right? So, so I don't know if he can um, do it here on hard courts, especially in such a strong field. And Jakub speak for this one, uh, the the picks that he sent me is Yuncheng Shang, which I'm not gonna follow up on. Um, Shang is playing Layal in the opening round, and I just don't like the matchup. I think both of these guys are really very talented. Um, Tanasi Kokinakis, do I want to go for him? I think it's a, it's a possibility for sure, but I'm actually going to go with Artur Kazo. I like the section for him. I think he had a pretty tough match against Nam Huangli last year, uh, but he seems to have improved and Nam Huangli maybe not necessarily. Uh, then Skulkate in the second round, Galarno maybe in the quarters, that's a bit of a threat. I don't know, I just, I just feel good about this um, for Artur Kazo. Um, I feel like he could he could go deep here. Uh, Gabriel Diallo is not playing this, which is kind of interesting, right? But but um, that's mostly because he won the title here last year. But I think he's actually in Newport, right? Yeah, he is in Newport and he's playing Kevin Anderson, um, the um, South African who is coming back of his, from his retirement. So a very spicy round one matchup there. So that's why Diallo is not defending his title. He is simply in Newport. And uh, yeah, so that's going to be Granby, um, Shank for Jakub, Kazo for me. Uh, Trieste, the other Challenger 100, is in, um, of course, in Italy. Passaro is the defending champion and he is playing it. Alejandro Tabilo has already withdrawn as the as the fifth seed. But uh, at the top of the draw, we have Fabian Maroshan, who is still scheduling himself for quite a lot of challengers, despite being in the top 100. I don't know how I feel about that. You know, Stad kids behave. These are like fast clay events. They could be good for him. But at the same time, stabilizing his ranking, uh, I guess that's not a bad thing either. And Maroshan could play a qualifier or then a qualifier Gigante. Uh, Gigante, sorry. Uh, Pellegrino plays Koboli in a, in a spicy round on matchup and then potentially Sengor Diavale. Barrios Vera Andreozzi, the third seed, Barrios Vera, that's pretty huge too. Passaro will not have it easy, the, the sixth seed either, uh, playing Darderi and then even potentially Dino Prismic in the second round. Or maybe Mark Polmans, like either way, this is very tough for Passaro, I think, um, who is of course struggling right now. Um, the bottom half, we have that section where like the Tabilo, the fifth seed, withdrew. So the only seed in this third quarter is Hugo Gaston, playing with a special exempt, and he's playing Caruso. 
Pretty nice section for him, I think. Burushaga in the second round, potentially Neumayer, Sachko or a qualifier in the quarters. And Pedro Martinez is the second seed. He's playing a qualifier, then Serafinio a qualifier. Kolash is playing Piraino here, and there's also Gianessi. But th- this section looks pretty nice for, Mar- for Martinez, I have to say. Um, and when it comes to the qualifying, do we have anyone here that could really threaten for the title? Uh, maybe Kirian Jacquet, you know, good form recently. Um, I was looking, potentially maybe we would be looking at Blasrola, but of course he's already lost uh, to Kirill Kivatsev and yeah, just fatigue-wise probably wasn't doable for him. Uh, but there's also, uh, I think in Trieste there was also Akira Santian, but he just retired today after nine games. So yeah, maybe maybe Kirian Jacquet is like a bit of a threat if he if he plays well, but um, yeah, that, that's, a, that's a long shot still, of course. I, I know that. So Jakub went with Maroshan here. I'm just going to say that Maroshan probably loses to, I don't even know who, maybe to Koboli in the quarters or Baris Vera, you know, some, someone like that in the semis. Uh, we've, we've talked about it many times, but like Fabi's playstyle is not exactly the most consistent in the world. So I'm just going to say Maroshan loses here in like the quarters or the semis. And I think I'm just going to go with Pedro Martinez. He did okay with uh, in Braunschweig. Beating Travalia, losing to Kovalik. He's, of course, like kind of, I would say, mixing great performances with absolute awfulness, if that's even a word. But um, I I really like the section for him. Playing a qualifier, then Serafinio, a qualifier. That should be the quarterfinals for Pedro Martinez. And then, you know, Kolas, Genesi, that's also not the worst thing. And that bottom half seems really weak to me. So, so yeah, I'm going with Pedro Martinez instead of Maroshan. And uh, going forward, we have three more challengers in Europe. Maybe let's finish off the clay, uh, you know, just just uh, right now, and then get back to well, get back to then go to the hardcore events. So finishing off the clay, we've got the Dutch Open in Amersfoort. Uh, Talon Griegsport, the defending champion, of course, isn't here because he is right now like a top thirty player. But we have Facundo Diaz Acosta as the top seed. He's playing Hugo um, Hugo Blanchet. I think Blanchet was just in an ITF final yesterday. I actually have to check whether he won it, because I think he was playing Meller. He won uh, 25k in Uriage in France on clay, so um, in form, could be a threat to the Acosta. Then in the second round, Travalia or Puccinelli de Almeida. That's a, that's a really strong part of the draw, I think. And uh, the other seed in this section is Nicolas David Yonel, who's going to play Max Hokes. Jan Choinski is the third seed playing Santiago Rodriguez Taverna. That's a good one as well. Landalusa against Deckers. That's that's quite exciting. You know, Landalusa, the US Open champion, of course, and Alec Deckers, the, the son of Richard Krajcek. Um, the eighth seed, Tituan Droguet, will be uh, the opponent for... Uh, or you know, or or free qual- or one of the free qualifiers will be the opponent for for these four guys in the quarters. Six seed Jesper uh, de Jong plays Gaiden Oden, uh, then Gofir Onklen or Orior Loka Bataya. This section is really exciting because Delbonis I think should be beating Yelasels, the fourth seed, and then Rudolf Molecker against Sander Jong. That's really good. Sander Jong, the the college player who did extremely well in Amersfoort last year. And yeah, I'm just I'm just really excited to see if he can do it again. Max Hokes, of course, was another standout performer in Amersfoort, uh, 2022. I think both of these guys could be could be dangerous. Um, then also we have the second seed Felipe Merigani Alves playing Michael Hertz, and Hen- uh, Henry Laksonen or a qualifier in the second round. Also Maximilian Marterer, the fifth seed, could face Jakub Menchik or Manuel Guinard in the in the second round. That could be uh, one of the matches of the you know, of the event early here. And uh, Jakub went with, okay, I see what ja- who Jakub went with. I'm also going to see if, um, the, if there's someone in the qualies. Yoris Delor, I guess, is the standout here because he just signed up late. He is ranked in the top 200, but still playing the qualies here. And otherwise, could, can anyone really threaten here? We've got Matis Erhardt, but no, nah, probably not, especially after he lost to Lamazine, I think, 6-1-6-1 last week. So yeah, I, I would say probably Delore is the only threat if he can qualify beating Alexander uh, Alexander Brainin. Who am I going with here? Jakub decided to go with Jesper de Jong, which I think is fine. Uh, I guess that quarterfinal for him is kind of rough with Delbonis, Molecker or Jong. I'm really lost in terms of like who I want to go for here. 
I see that the second quarter is pretty weak, but I don't think I can really capitalize on it. I'm kind of just uh, wanting to pick Menchik, but he has an extremely tough draw, I think. If he needs to play Guinard, Marterer, and then Meligeni Alves, that's, yeah, that, that that's a nightmare. Diaz Acosta is always a possibility, you know, having just broken the top 100, but he is playing Stefano Travaglia potentially in the second round, or even Puccinelli da Almeida. Yeah, sorry, guys, I, I have no clue what to do. I'm just going to go with Menchik. Why not? I'm just going to go with the big talent. He has a tough draw, uh, but at some point he's going to be winning these events again. He, of course, has a title already at 17 years of age. So I'm just going to I'm just going to go with Jakub Menchik. Um, I think it's a it's a fine selection. Tough draw, but, you know, who cares? He can do it all. And then Tampere, the last um, event on clay. Jean Borpiroz, the defending champion, is the top seed. It would be good for his top 100 chances if he defended the title, for sure. He's playing Moes Ekargui, uh, then Henry Squire or a qualifier. There are two Poles potentially playing each other here in the second round. Daniel Michalski should be in the second round because he's playing a Finnish wildcard, Patrick Kaukovalta. And then Max Kasznikowski, will he be in the second round? Who knows? Ricardo Bonadio is, the, is his opponent. Lukas Klein should be a threat. He is playing Elmar Ejupovic in the, in the first round, and Ejupovic has... You know, we, we know that he has a knack for upsets. Fonio or Copriva, their second round opponents. And Dalibor Scina is also in this section. We recently had a client Scina, right? In Prostayov. And it was a pretty good match won by Scina in the quarters. Uh, in three sets. Or, or the semis. Actually, I think it was the semis. I wouldn't have anything against clients Scina facing e each other again here. Eduardo Lavagno is the eighth seed playing Nicolas Sanchez Izquierdo. Uh, I like seeing Lavagno seeded, by the way. Like, that's... That's something that uh, gives me a lot of joy with the year that he's had. Um, pretty amazing, uh, pretty amazing breakthrough. Kimer Kopejans as the fourth seed. He can play a qualifier and then Rincon of a qualifier. And yeah, Sumit Nagal, the seventh seed, faces Iji Vesely. There was a very interesting thing with Iji Vesely, uh, which we have to talk about, because he was actually in two draws this week. He was in the qualifying in Amersfoort and he was as a wildcard in the main draw in Tampere. So, of course, eventually he was withdrawn from Amersfoort. He's actually playing Tampere. And then um, Nagal or Vesely will play Reis da Silva or Hassan. And there's also a huge one here. Christian Garin also picking up a wildcard, playing Nico Nino Serdarusic uh, in the opening round. And then potentially Zekic or Dugas. So, um, in the qualifying, do we have anyone else who, who's like a threat to win this tournament? I don't really think so. Vashro is the top seed. Duyai Dukovic, maybe. Oh, uh, you know, such such a good year for him, or at least the last few months, right? So maybe Aidukovic, if he if he qualifies, could be dangerous. Uh, but otherwise, probably not. Um, Jakub is picking Lukas Klein, going with the Slovak uh, magic there. I don't like Klein as a pick here that much. I think, you know, Svcina in the quarters, potentially. Even Ayupovic in the first round, Kopriva in the second round. Uh, that's kind of tough. But, you know, I like Klein as a player, so I wouldn't really mind him winning. I think my lead over Jakub is just one right, one point right now, though. So I kind of have to be uh, strong in my predictions here. Jombor Pirosh uh, is a possibility. Um, Michalski or Kashnikovski in the quarters for him or Bonadio, that's not that tough and he should be getting through the first two rounds I think I might be picking Pirosh, the other the other things, like the other concepts I have in my mind is Kopejans again and um, Christian Garin I think Garin is a possibility too you know, he's so good and he just had a nice run in Yassi the question is whether I can already pick him. You know, he's playing Serdarusic in the opening round. I guess that's the only threat, though. Well, Nagal is a threat as well. Uh, no, I'm actually going to change from Pirosh to Garin. Um, I, I feel pretty strongly about it. You know, after making the semis in Yassi, I think he should be ready for, for an even deeper run here. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going with uh, Christian Garin. So, uh, as we are arriving into the last event, Pozo Blanco... Um, the hardcore challenger in Spain and this is the one where they actually only play in the morning and then in the evening because there's uh, you know the, the uh, heat in Pozo Blanco is so huge I think right now they may be uh, yeah that they, they even stopped playing in the morning they they actually start matches at 7 p.m. Uh, absolutely crazy but you know th that's what they need to do uh, it's like 35 celsius or something every day 
in Pozoblanco, basically. So, um, yeah, ridiculous stuff. Constant Lestien, the defending champion, is, of course, not here. He is in the top 100, although might not be for long because his year is um, full of injuries. The top seed is Hugo Grenier, though. I have to check that, but wasn't he... No, it was Segovia that he won last year. Sorry, not uh, Pozoblanco. But he seems to love hardcourts in France, you know. Uh, Runner-up in Alicante 2021, won Segovia 2022, and won Les, Fran- Les Franceses del Valles 2023. So maybe he's a threat here again. Pierre Gerber is his opening round rival. He, they could play Alibek Kachmazov in the second round. Antoine Escoffier, the sixth seed, playing Dominic Palan. That's pretty interesting as well. And Mattia Bellucci, the third seed, is playing Luis Vessels. Vessels, I mean, quite a big game, but he mostly does well on clay. But maybe, maybe actually um, the hard courts in Spain could be good for him too. And maybe he could threaten Bellucci. Antoine Bellier or Danadette will be their second round rivals. This is a very exciting section with uh, Spaniards only so far, but there will be a qualifier involved too. And Fernando Verdasco plays Pablo Yamas Ruiz and then potentially Alejandro Moro Cañas in the second round. Uh, that's pretty huge, right? And in um, yeah, well, maybe it's going to be another Spaniard from the qualifying joining them. Ricardas Branqui is the seventh seed, is playing the YouTube legend Jules Marie. Uh, Emilio Nava is the is the fourth seed, um, coming off uh, clay final or title recently. Title, right? He eventually managed to beat uh, Tito Androgue, or did he? Jesus, I cannot remember right now who won that crazy match. Uh, which is crazy. Yeah, of course he beat Droga. He saved too much points in the in the second round. Uh, sorry, in the in the second set. Uh, so he's coming off a title of Owen Clay. Uh, Lorenzo Giustino playing Edas Butfilas with a wild card here. Uh, the Lithuanian junior. Um, interesting, actually. I think he should be beating uh, Giustino. And a lot of Lithuanian action here, I suppose, with Berankis and Butfilas in the same quarter and also Vilius Gaubas in the uh, qualifying, but Gaubas lost yesterday. Cem Ilkel was in a 25k final on Sunday and he's playing Adrian Menendez Maceiras in the first round. And the Spaniard is, I think, retiring this week because he hasn't been... Well, he hasn't been active in a while, right? Um... Obviously, quite a bit of a legend of the Challenger Tour. Despite just four titles, he made 17 finals, almost in the top 100 back in the day, played a few slams, uh, and he's going to play Cem Ilka here in the opening round, then Fikovic or Peniston, potentially. And there's also Nicolas Moreno de Alboran as the second seed, and kind of looking like a strong pick here, um, playing a qualifier and then a qualifier or Yankee Erel. Let's see if there's anyone in the qualifying of note. Uh, ben Locke playing Mats Rosenkrantz. I think this is a rematch for a Gaiba grass final two years ago. Kind of kind of fun. Philippe Pelivo playing Dali Blanche in the in the second round. That's one that that I'm probably gonna tune into today. Uh, Zuckerman playing Ulysses Blanche. And by the way, Dali Blanche getting so many wildcards right now. I guess that only shows us that this Poznan one was probably bought as well. Uh, but yeah, anyway. Um, Jakub picks Moreno Dalboran here and I totally get him because looking at this draw uh, I just really enjoy his section you know qualifier then RL or qualifier Ilkel he lost that 25k final pretty tamely I don't think he's at the top of his game at the moment so so yeah I, I like that opportunity for him I think um, otherwise Nava yeah I mean he is okay on hard courts right uh, it's not like uh, he is only good on on fast clay. He is actually okay on hard courts too. Just hasn't been really maybe focusing on them recently. Uh, obviously, an Australian Open boys singles runner-up a few years back to Lorenzo Musetti. Um, otherwise, who would I go for? You know, Grenier isn't that convincing at the moment. Neither is Mattia Bellucci. Um, the Span- Spanish section of Morocanias, Yamas Ruiz, I don't want to pick out of that. Yeah, I think I'm just going to follow up Jakub here with Moreno Dalboran. I think Moreno Dalboran is a really strong pick here. Um, very nice section for him. If he makes the semis, then the, the fun starts, I suppose. But I would expect him to make the semis here. Um, and I think it, it really makes sense to go for him. So yeah, uh, that's that's going to be it for, for this week, guys. Uh, we have arrived at about an hour. Uh, which I think is fine for uh, for a solo episode. 
obviously I wasn't really looking at the time. It's not like I was speeding up or slowing down. <laughs> That's just how it happened. We I also gave you the um, quick rundown of challenger players in the Polish national championships, which I'm sure all of you were dying to hear. And yeah, uh, we're going to see you guys in a week, hopefully with Jakub again. And um, yeah, we're going to talk about Pozoblanco, Tampere, Amersfoort, Chicago and Trieste, the, the five events of the Challenger Tour that we're going to see um, this week. So yeah, thanks for listening. Thanks for staying until the end. And yeah, see you guys next time.